This podcast may contain adult language and situations, graphic, gory details, and other not-so-nice things. Listener discretion is advised. I'm Lacey. And I'm Ashley. And this is United States of Murder. This week, we're in North Carolina, where we'll be talking about an adoptee's murderous love triangle. Then, we'll discuss how the bodies of three family members were found in a bathtub during a snowstorm. Buckle up and join us on this dark and twisted ride through the Tar Heel State. We all love our parents. Well, most of us, anyway. You feel a different type of love towards them, obviously than you do for your spouse. Just like the love you feel for your spouse is much different than the love you have towards your child. But what if those lines suddenly became blurred? I know that sounds completely ridiculous and disgusting. You're not some kind of sexual predator, and you're not seeking out an incestual relationship with a relative. The Westermark effect also known as reverse sexual imprinting, is a psychological hypothesis that states people tend not to be attracted to peers with whom they live with, like siblings, before the age of six. In order to avoid inbreeding, humans and other animals develop a strong sexual aversion to individuals with whom they have lived closely in infancy and early childhood usually biological siblings or parents. So what happens when you are separated from those closest to you, your biological family, at birth, during those crucial bonding years? What happens when you reunite when you are an adult? Do those feelings, that love you feel for a parent or sibling, somehow turn into a physical attraction? Well, that is exactly what happens in the case I'm about to cover. Alyssa Garcia was 15 when 20-year-old Stephen Plaid met her in a chat room. I know. It was 1995, and chat chat rooms were the social media at the time. Gosh, I didn't know they started that early. Oh, yeah. I think we've talked about this before, about being on whatever the hot chat room was back then. (laughs) Teenchat.com. I was like, I don't even remember what it is now. And that was the thing we didn't realize is that someone could totally be lying to you about their Mm -hmm. age, their sex, where they were located. And I'm sure I probably lied on chat rooms about stuff. I did too. See? I always lied about my location and my name. (laughs) Because you were worried you were going to get found? Yeah. Well, good for you. Yeah. I've always been skeptical of humans. (laughs) (laughs) So Alyssa lived in San Antonio, Texas, and was developing the feels for this man she had met online. They would write letters back and forth, and he would even drive to Texas to see her. Her parents were not happy about this. Oh, so they met in person. Really? Oh, wow. Which is why Alyssa eventually ran away to be with Stephen, all the way to New York. So he was not lying about his age. No, he was really 20, and she was 15. Which, five years is not. But when you're 15 but and when 20, you're 15, yeah. It is. Yeah. So not only 
could I not imagine disobeying my mother and just running away at from home 15. at 15? Yeah. But also, as a mother, I could not imagine my child running away to be with somebody. No, that's so that, young to make a big <laughs> That's mm-mm. Of, with a man yeah. that's 20, but he's too old for that oh, mess. Absolutely. He's, yeah. too, he's still young, but he's too old to be doing something like yes. that. Yeah. So guess what? Alyssa became pregnant. No. And had their daughter in January of 1998. So just a year after she had left. Yeah. So Stephen didn't hold the baby. He didn't help Alyssa with her. He would hold his hand over her mouth when she cried. He would pinch her. He's just a fucking asshole. He didn't want her to cry, but he wanted to pinch her, so she he would was start crying. Ju- just an asshole. Oh, dear. He would hold his hand over her mouth when she cried to the point where she would be gasping for air. He would put the baby in a cooler or the refrigerator and close <gasps> the door and keep Alyssa from going over there to rescue her baby. So at eight months old... The couple decided to put her up for adoption. Oh, my gosh. And this was mainly Alyssa's idea. Well, in this situation, I mean, this guy's got some problems. Yeah. Yes. But Stephen immediately went along with the idea that, yeah, she, we should probably place her up for adoption. And get a vasectomy, please. <sighs> I mean, she knew the only way to protect her daughter yeah, was to that's awful. give her up and to give her a life that was free of abuse. So. <sighs> It, it's so awful. I can't imagine what she was going through. Was she abused? Probably. I'm yeah. Gonna speculate. It just, yeah. I, I mean, mean, I wouldn't doubt it. Some form of abuse if, was likely in the home. If you're abusing yeah. my child mm-hmm. and keeping me from her, that's abuse. Oh, well, yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. It's a lot of psychological stuff. Yes. Just that. Just that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So... I know a lot of people would be like, I would never and leave him. She should have left him and kept her baby. But again, she is a teenager still. I, yes, I've never been in an abusive relationship, thank God. So I I can't say, but she did the right thing. She got the baby out of the situation. Her goal was safety for her child. A hundred percent. And she succeeded. So despite all of this. Alyssa marries Stephen in 2006 and has two more little girls. Oh, my gosh. They moved to Virginia, where Alyssa worked several jobs, and Stephen laid around the house unemployed. And Stephen was violent. He would throw furniture and dishes. He never touched the little girls, though. Unlike their first daughter, he wasn't a great dad, though, either. hands-off, literally and figuratively father. He would yell at them. And punish them in cruel ways if they had accidents. He was just a horrible fucking person. Yeah. So anyways, Anthony and Kelly Fusco adopted their baby girl and they named her Katie. They lived in New York and they also had a son. So Katie had a brother. She was an animal lover, vegetarian, aspiring artist. She drew comic strips in high school and had planned to attend college to pursue digital advertising. So she grew up happy and healthy, Mm -hmm. completely away from this other family, her biological family, far away from abuse, just a wonderful, loving Mm -hmm. family. That's good. But she wanted to know. Well, of course. Who was her biological family? Mm -hmm. And she found them on social media and reached out. 
They began talking and she decided to move in with them instead of attending college that fall. Wait. Okay. She met her biological, her biological family, parents through which social was media. Stephen and Alyssa. Stephen, the oh, one that gosh. beat and abused her. Alyssa, the mother that put her up for but adoption. But she probably didn't know, right? Not yet. Okay. I would think she yes. probably, the details mm-hmm. were yeah. hidden mostly. So instead of going to college, she moves to be with them. Oh. I could not imagine how her adoptive mother and father felt. I mean, I'm, I'm sure they were probably like, you want to find your birth family? We get that. Oh, yeah. I totally understand that. You want There's to know a who you are. I would want to know. Mm-hmm. But it's just knowing what I know. Ugh, it's not good. I mean, she must have felt a connection with them. Oh, I'm when sure. When she reached mm-hmm. out to them. Or, you know, felt like something was missing and she was afraid to voice, you know, her, I'm strictly speculating. Right, right. So Katie moves down to Virginia and in with her biological family. And this was August of 2016. Alyssa was thrilled to reconnect with her baby that she had put up for adoption, you know, 18 years ago. But this bliss would be very short-lived as... This is a true crime podcast after all. Yeah, it's not going to be happy. We don't generally do happy endings. No. So their marriage had been on the rocks for a while before. Before it began. Right. Before it even began, yes. But before Katie came into the picture. So don't blame her. They had slept in different bedrooms for a while and it just wasn't happily married bliss. Stephen began spending a lot of time with Katie, just the two of them. Don't like that. Alyssa worked all the time. The mm-hmm. younger girls were at school. So it was just Stephen and Katie. Alyssa definitely noticed changes in Stephen. Oh, no. The way he acted, his appearance. Before he was just an asshole dad who broke shit and verbally abused his kids and wore New Balance and jorts and smoked Pall Mall cigarettes. I mean, I don't know if he smoked. Oh. I'm just saying. Oh, okay. But <laughs> after. I don't know about the jorts either. Okay. either. But. After Katie showed up, he kind of turned into a fashionista. He oh, shaved his facial hair, wore skinny jeans. He wanted to look younger. Was trying to look younger. So he literally went from looking like Hank Williams Jr. to Freddie Mercury. Mm. Totally. Yeah. That's bizarre. Not that he, you know, but that he changed so totally. much. That's not not loving it. So he also began sleeping on the floor in the bedroom that Katie slept in. Uh, I mean, she's probably, what, 18, 19? Yeah. Yeah. Ew. He was confronted by Alyssa. He denied anything salacious was happening. But finally, Alyssa had had enough, and she took the two younger girls and moved out. Oh, my gosh. I cannot even imagine this. And Katie, was she was okay with it. Yes. So she stays in the house with Stephen. Her mother and her two full sisters. Move out. Katie stays in the house with Stephen, her biological father, the one who would pinch the shit out of her as a baby and put her in the refrigerator, refrigerator, the one who tried to suffocate her. And they were becoming very close, much closer than any father daughter should. Yeah. Alyssa reads an entry in her youngest daughter's journal that says Katie is pregnant (gasps) and her dad said it was his baby. She also wrote that he told the girls to call Katie their stepmom and not sister. So Alyssa's fucking enraged. 
She calls Stephen. His response is, we thought you knew. My jaw's on the floor. This is so... Yes. I... mm. So then she calls the police and tells them what's going on because, after all, incest is illegal. She gets an order of protection against him to stay away from their younger girls and files for divorce. Again, just so you know, incest is illegal in most of the United States, with the exception of New Jersey and Rhode Island. What? As long as both participating parties are adults. Wait, what? In New Jersey and Rhode Island. Not Mm -hmm. the South. Not the South. No offense to South. I'm in the South. I'm just surprised. Yeah. Everyone thinks you can do all this legally in the South. You cannot. Nor do we want to, by the way. Yeah, as long as, I mean, she's 18. And he's an adult, so... Mm, I don't... mm. So, most states, like Kentucky, you can get life in prison for having an incestual relationship. In Arkansas, the minimum, minimum for an incestual relationship is three years. Wow. So, you can't can't fuck your cousins, your your dads. Please do not get pregnant. Yeah, you can't do this. Police did an investigation, but nothing was done. And two months after their divorce was final, Stephen married his biological daughter. Wait, how did he marry her? It was illegal because they lied on their license to get oh, married. Oh, I see. That's I how see. they did it. Okay, okay. I was about to say, no, like, no, wait, they this lied. is in the 2000s. Yes, no, 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 they lied. Ugh. So Stephen's parents and Katie's adopted parents actually came to the wedding. They yes, knew. they fucking knew. They all knew. Yeah. But it's like at a certain point, what do you do? You can't make a decision for someone else, but I would not be happy. (laughs) No. Oh my gosh. Yes. So their son was born in September, Mm. just a few months after the wedding, and they moved to North Carolina in a cute little cul-de-sac. But the couple was arrested in January on charges of incest. They were released on bond and ordered no contact with one another. And the baby was sent to live with Stephen's mother. And Katie went back to her adoptive parents' house in New York. So we've been to Texas, Maryland, Virginia, New York, North Carolina. We've been all over. I'm looking up their photos because I have to. Oh, gosh. And they look alike. Well, that's her fucking dad. No, I know, but... The thought of being, I don't know, I guess I was raised with my father from birth to when he passed, but I Mm-mm. thought of being Mm-mm. attracted to someone that looks, has your characteristics. Oh, he has my nose and my eyes. I don't know. I'll get to all that. Oh, God. So Katie called Stephen and ends the relationship. Mm. She had to, obviously. And which- she looks 15. She looks much younger than she is in this picture. Ugh. April 11th. Stephen calls his mom and tells her he's coming by to pick up the baby and take him to New York to be with his mother, Katie. Mm. So his mom gives him the little boy. Nothing seems off, but it definitely was. Stephen goes home where he proceeds to strangle his baby's son and put him in the closet before leaving the house, then driving 600 miles to New York, completely enraged. On the morning of April the 12th, Katie was on her way to visit her adopted grandmother's house in Connecticut with her adopted father. They did this every Tuesday, and Stephen knew this. That morning, Stephen watched them leave from his minivan, 
that he had parked on the side of the road out of sight, follows them to the stop sign, and shots ring out. Katie and her father are shot and (gasps) killed with an assault rifle. He had followed them, and as soon as he had the chance to take a shot, he shot and killed both of them. Wow. He emptied out an entire magazine in the two of them, and then he headed away from the scene towards New Milford. He calls his mom, tells her he had killed his son and left him in the house, that there was a key under the front door for the police to get in, but she shouldn't go over there. He was in New York, and that he had shot and killed Katie and her adopted father. So Stephen's mom calls 911, and you can listen to this tape. I listened to it, and it's fucking awful. His mother is upset. She's hysterical. Her son just called and told her that he had killed his baby, the one she just gave him to take to his mom. And then he had killed Katie and her adopted father. So police are en route to his house to get the baby. And they're also in New York on their way to where he is because he tells his mom where he's at. They find his minivan on the side of the road and he is dead from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Katie and her son were buried together. Alyssa did not attend the funeral. She said it would have been too much of a media frenzy. But this is a real thing that, I mean, this is awful, this case. So I'm going to just kind of give you a little adoptees who reunite with lost parents risk genetic sexual attraction. It's called GSA. It's called reverse sexual imprinting or the Westermark effect. It was first identified in the 80s by this woman named Barbara, and she wrote a book called I'm His Mother, But He's Not My Son. And it's her personal story about reconnecting with a son that she put up for adoption when she was 16 and her having sexual feelings for him when they met later on in life and were both adults. And she runs an online support group that educates people and intervenes. So this whole article, it's an ABC News article wow. that I found and read about. That's it's pretty, super interesting. It's pretty fascinating. Yeah. So GSA is not super common. Okay. Well, and, that's good at least. And it's been seen when birth parents reunite with adult children and even other adult children when they reunite with siblings that they had never met before. And a lot of therapists aren't very familiar with GSA, but these people are not sexual predators. They're not seeking an incestual relationship. They become, like you were saying about the same face and all that, they become somewhat infatuated and the lines get blurred and they feel the need to bond. Well, how do you bond as an adult? It's often through sexual intimacy Mm -hmm. and They missed out on that bonding as a child, but they do have those feelings to reconnect. And so they go on and talk about, you know, if you're feeling these, it's important to to seek therapy. And this article that I read is a huge article. It's like like four or five pages. Help that they're attracted. No, almost like so. This article had several different women and men in it, and this one woman, and I'm not going to say her name. She was an attorney had been married for almost 20 something years, three kids. Her husband was also an attorney. She reconnected with her biological father's family and her father. And they 
almost started an affair, her and her biological father, because they, like you were saying, here's this man that looks like me. He finishes my sentences. We have the same mannerisms. There's an inherited bond or likeness and you, yeah. And you want to act on that by, you know. Yeah. I hate that I almost understand it. No, I know. It's disgusting. I know. I'm the same way. I get it because it's. Skin to skin as a baby, yes. connecting that way as a newborn. And that's totally mm-hmm. non-sexual. Right. But you're right, as an adult. I mean, as a as an adult, like like you're saying, I mean, even as a mm. as a kid, what do you do? You sit on your dad's lap. Or even yeah. as a mother with a son, exactly. what and do you do? You lay on my chest. And it's the lines get blurred very innocently, but it becomes it can um, become yeah. And so they say that, you know, you're not disgusting, you're not a sexual predator, you're not doing anything, you know, it's very taboo, but it's also can be very normal. And to seek therapy, to teach you and your biological mom, dad, or your brother or your sister to set healthy boundaries and how to bond Mm -hmm. with it not being physical or romantic. But this woman went on and in this article that I read and she has zero contact with her biological family now because she went to a therapist and approached her dad and was like, we both need to go to therapy because this is not healthy. And he denied it all and basically threw her under the bus and said, she showed up in my life and she tried to basically sleep with me and it's all her. Mm. And so she has no contact with her biological family, which is so fucking sad. Yeah. But there were, like I said, several other people, even the the woman who, you know, wrote this book that this is not super common, but it does happen. And you're not fucking weird. If you develop these feelings, just seek therapy. So that's what I'm saying. Like it, when you hear this story that I just told you, you're like, oh, what? Well, Her yeah, dad? it's to me. I just think of myself and I'm very yes. repulsed by all of that. Sure. But I and even like. I don't want to hear anything about my brother in that context. Right. Like, ew, I'm disgusted. So but, gross. Yes, but these people did not. Yeah, grow I grew up, up with, them. with. Yeah, so yeah. there is that reverse sexual imprinting that can happen. Gosh, very interesting uh, concept. I guess that I never thought anything like that could happen, but I guess I could see it now that I've. Let's take a break. Let's. So. My case is absolutely nothing like yours. Oh, well, good. <laughs> Obviously, because I'd never heard of anything like yours before. So Boone, North Carolina is known for its picturesque attractions like Grandfather Mountain, the Blue Ridge Parkway, and Tweetsie Railroad. Did you say Boone or Boo? Boone. Like Boone. Like Boone's Farm? N-E. Okay. It has a cute downtown, a vibrant art scene, and plenty of history. It also had a murder mystery that loomed over the town since 1972. On February 3, 1972, during a heavy snowstorm, the bodies of 51-year-old Bryce Durham, his wife 44-year-old Virginia, and their 18-year-old son Bobby were found dead in the bathroom of their home in Boone, North Carolina. The Durhams also had a daughter named Jenny, but she was 19 years old and married, so she did not live at home. Bryce and Virginia's son-in-law, Troy, was trying to get a hold of them one night, and they couldn't. He and his wife, Jenny, decided to just head over to their place since they weren't answering. No one came to the door. 
so they got a neighbor's help to let them in. Conveniently, the neighbor was also a private detective named Cecil Small. Stop you real quick. Do you have a neighbor that could let someone in your house? No. I don't either. I don't have a neighbor I like. <laughs> Just kidding. But I don't know my neighbors. I mean, I'm, I was really good friends with the ones directly across from me. But they just recently moved, but they didn't have a key to my house. Like they couldn't have let. But I, I recall hearing multiple stories like this where yeah. something happens oh, and the yeah. neighbor lets somebody in. I feel like this is very much like an I don't want to say old thing to do, but our, yeah. maybe our parents or grandparents' generation, sure. that was more common. And yeah. also maybe more so in small towns and cities. Probably. Because I feel like mm-hmm. when I go back to my hometown, people know their neighbors. Mm-hmm. I don't know my neighbors. Yeah. And we're close. But, I mean, Jason has a key. Yeah, but. He's kind of close. I mean, he's close, but not like my, no one would know how to find him. Right. So. They all three walked into a completely ransacked house, and the TV was still on. There was blood spatter in the den, and the telephone cord was ripped off the wall. They could hear running water, so Troy and Cecil walked toward the bathroom and found three bodies on the floor with their heads in an overflowing tub. Oh my god! And there's an uncensored photo of this online, and it's awful. I didn't want to see it. I was just looking at pictures of the victims for Instagram. Boom, pops up. It's it's so awful. Uh-uh. According to an autopsy report, Virginia was strangled to death, and Bryce and Bobby were drowned. For almost five decades, investigators were totally stumped on who the murderer was. They chased various leads, but... Nothing ever panned out, so this is a case that may have never been solved, but in 2019, investigators received a tip. A sheriff in Georgia was contacted by a son of one of the killers, so there were more than one. I would think there would have to be. Yeah, exactly. You know. It's mm. Shane Burt, the son of Billy Sunday Burt, was doing research for a book about his father. The book was about the murders his father had committed in the 70s. And before I get into what the tip was, let me tell you about his father, Billy. Billy Sunday Burt was one of the most notorious killers in Georgia's history. Law enforcement estimated that he was responsible for the death of more than 50 victims. Not only was he a killer, he smuggled pills from Mexico, robbed banks, burnt down buildings for insurance money, and had a family. He was just a criminal. Yeah. He ended up in prison for robbing the National Bank of Walton County in Loganville, and he was later convicted of murdering two people in a robbery. He spent the rest of his 40 years in prison. He suffered from Parkinson's disease and ended up hanging himself in his cell. Oh, man. Mm -hmm. Throughout his life, his wife, Ruby Nell Burt, stood beside him through thick and thin. She did not know the details, though, of his criminal activities. She knew he did bad things. She didn't want the details. He didn't tell her. Mm -hmm. She was a God-fearing, hardworking woman who was raising five children. She didn't have time for his shit. Oh, not at all. She eventually divorced him, but they still stayed in contact, Mm -hmm. and she cared for him. Mm -hmm. He was not a good husband to her, like she was a good wife to him. He didn't discuss business with her, but he would tell her about the different women that he was sleeping with. (sighs) 
He would usually be strung out on drugs and would rarely give her enough money to help raise their children, so she worked multiple jobs. Unbelievable. Trash. Yes. And he's doing all these things for money. Hits. For probably a lot of money. Yeah, probably. And he didn't give her hardly anything. So Billy Burt was also the leader in his area of Georgia in what was known as the Dixie Mafia. (gasps) Have you heard of this? This is in Arkansas, too. Yes. We've talked about this before. I think I just didn't remember that, but it sounded familiar. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's in a lot of the South. So the Dixie Mafia... The one that he was a part of just had four men who were involved in dozens of violent crimes across the Southeast in the 60s and 70s. So he wasn't the main leader. He was just like a lower level leader. I didn't see the terms, but it's kind of like if you have a manager, then assistant managers. So he's the leader of his little posse. They're a loosely organized American criminal organization composed of mainly white Southerners. Hmm. And it's based in Biloxi, Mississippi but operates throughout the entire southern U.S. But since the 90s, the mafia's influence has dwindled significantly, and they don't have anything to do with the traditional mafia, by the way. Okay. Billy was joined by Bobby Jean Gaddis, Charles David Reed, and Billy Wayne Davis. Billy, Billy, Bobby, and Charles. All right, so Billy's son, Billy Bird. He told the police that when he was interviewing his father in prison for the book, he revealed details about a murder. He told Shane about a time he and his mafia killed three people in North Carolina in the mountains during a heavy snowstorm. And he told them that they almost got caught. He told the police who these other men were, and three of the men had already died, including Billy. But 81-year-old Billy Wayne Davis was still alive and in prison. 81. Yeah. And I will say this, based on his most recent mugshot, he doesn't look like a sweet old man. He looks mean. Like, I'd be scared of him even though he's 81. Yeah, he is. Yeah. So I can't imagine what he looked like way back when. Police interviewed him in a Georgia correctional facility in September 2019. October 2020, and August 2021. He was arrested for a 1971 murder. He told the police that the murders were a hired hit, but he didn't know who ordered the hit, meaning the Durham Mm -hmm. family. He said he was the getaway driver that night, and the other three men entered the house and murdered the family. Who knows if that's true or not? That's just what he said. The sheriff investigating would not comment, though, on why the family may have been the target of a hit. No one knew no of one any knows. enemies. Yeah, no one knows. Or even if it is a hit. Right. But at this time, no charges are expected to be filed because three of the foremen are dead, and then Billy Wayne Davis is in prison until he dies anyway, which will be probably pretty soon. But Jenny, the daughter, said, I would like to thank all the people who worked for decades on my family's case. I know they sacrificed many days and weekends in order to work on solving this case since 1972. My sources are the New York Times, NBC News, and the Wilkes Record. That's crazy. Yeah. Nobody knows. Mm-mm. And they had like a car dealership, but other than that... They weren't like no, nothing, nothing suspicious about their home life or anything. And if they're... Is an obvious reason the police never shared that. They just said no comment 
which is also kind of weird instead of saying, we, we don't, don't know. know. Yeah. But yeah, so there's probably a lot of other people that these guys killed that are still cold cases. The only reason this is solved because this guy was interviewing his dad in 2017 and he's like, oh, there's another murderer. Oh, anyway. Mm-mm. If your father has ever confessed, no. <laughs> Email us. If you are sleeping with your father. Oh, no. Don't tell us. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. This was a messed up daddy yeah, episode. It was. So. Oh, and one other thing. I mean, I just read about this. So they had five kids, Billy Burt, mm-hmm. and two of their sons, even though their dad did absolutely terrible things, at least two of the sons were super close with him. Even when he was in prison, they would still visit him. So very interesting. Not that that's wrong. It's their father and they sure. didn't do anything bad. But that is, uh, they I still said, think it's interesting. Yeah, though. they felt like he was a good father to them. He wasn't a good husband. I'll say that much. But right. they didn't hate him. Huh. Well, I mean, good for them for <laughs> yeah, not I mean, hating their dad. Because he gave them multiple plenty, reasons. Yeah, absolutely. To do so. Mm-hmm. Well... I have no rant today, so the floor is yours. <laughs> Did you see where that boy, well, he's a man now, from Texas was found alive eight years after he disappeared? I've been out of the loop because of holidays and stuff, but I don't know anything about okay, it other than, tell you about please it. do, I want to know the scoop. So a Houston man who went missing as a teen more than eight years ago was found sleeping in front of a local church. Rudolph, or Rudy, has been missing since March 6 of 2015, according to a missing, missing persons flyer published by the Texas Center for the Missing. On June 29th, Houston Police Department received a call for service, and they responded to a church in East Houston and later confirmed that the individual was Rudy. It's unclear where he has been over the years, and officials do not know any further details on his past whereabouts or what led up to the call that reunited him with his family. He is receiving the care that he needs to overcome his trauma, said his mother, Jamie Santana. He is nonverbal and unable to communicate with his family, according to her statement. When they ask him questions, he'll answer shortly and then we'll ball back up in a fetal position. So no one knows no. what... and he won't answer. He'll say a couple words and then ball back up in the fetal position. He was found by a good Samaritan who called 911. They have no other information on this case. Um, the Houston Fire Department responded to the scene at the request of police officers. When they arrived, his mother was also there. Cruz assessed Rudy, but he refused to be taken to the hospital. His mother signed a form refusing her son's transport, and at that point, he was left with his mother and the police. Yeah. Okay. I know. Just wait. So the Texas Center for the Missing could not comment on the circumstances in which he was found, only that he was. Yeah. He was 17. He was walking his two dogs in Northwest Houston when he vanished. His whereabouts for the last eight years remain very unclear. In September of 2018, police did receive information from family that he was spotted sleeping behind the residence of another family member, but 
they weren't able to quote unquote get him like he had mm-hmm. he I fled. I guess. So according to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, nearly 360,000 reports of missing children were made to the FBI just last year alone. Oh, God. The police department's missing persons unit has been interested in interviewing this family, but has been unable to conduct those interviews as of Monday morning. Uh, The case remains under investigation. That's it. So bizarre. It almost makes me think, since he was 17, did he have some type of mental... That's around the age, stuff like that so, happens. It could be something else. He was else. A, allegedly depressed. Mm-hmm. Um, his brother had died in a motorcycle accident, mm-hmm. like, the year before his disappearance. So he was kind of battling some depression. Yeah. But where were you? What happened to you? Why are you he not talking? He should be seen by a doctor. He should be seen by a psychologist. Yeah. I mean, I'm not his mom. I'm not either, but I mean, was he sex trafficked? Oh my gosh. Was it aliens? Did he get kidnapped? Well, the dogs came home. He was walking his two dogs. They came back That's to the house weird. with their leashes still attached and he has been gone for eight years. I'm not judging her, first of all. I'm just saying, if this were me in this situation, I would really personally want to know what, as a mother, what happened. I would want him to see a therapist and all that. And like, first of all, it sounds like he needs that. Yeah. Because something's going on anyway. Something's going on. But I would have to know what in the world. And also, I'm not blaming the family for kidnapping him or anything like that. I don't know. But this is just a, a speculation that I don't even know is a speculation. They could be involved, a family member. So could they be. need to be investigated. Could be. Because why would they deny? And if they did, which they could have a totally logical reason. Sure. But yeah, they could be involved. It's very suspicious. It is suspicious. There's a million things that could be going on there. Well, and how did they know to call her? Right. Unless right. he told them. Mm-hmm. But then... Why would he not just call her? I don't know. So, yeah, we don't know. This is still developing, and it's very, very... We might not learn much. We might not. I don't know what... I mean, because technically he's a grown man. He doesn't have to... I don't know. Maybe he does legally. I don't know the... I mean, if you're registered for missing children, and there's... I I don't know. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Anyways, very bizarre. Well, if you were an underage child, they would immediately have you... Yes. Speaking to a psychologist or something. Sure. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't have to. He's a grown-up. So, oh, gosh. Anyways, very bizarre. That is bizarre. I was mm-hmm. trying to find info on it last night. There's not a whole lot out. So, speaking of children, I was telling Lacey, my kid has developed a freaking strawberry allergy. Hives. Head to toe. A nine-year-old. Nine. Been eating them his whole life. Whole life. That's so weird Hives. To me. We have EpiPen now. Oh, it's no. craziness. Do you have one in your purse? No, I don't even have them filled yet. I just have the oh, prescription. Oh, yeah. But I've got to get them filled. Mm-hmm. But very bizarre. That is. Let me tell you what else my bizarro kid did. Um. <laughs> oh, by the way, we got in some write-ins. People thought the, the gold wristband thing was hilarious. Oh, my God. You got to <laughs> tell me about those. But so yesterday was the fourth. And we had went out on the lake Mm -hmm. and then went and had lunch and then had to go to Best Buy. So he and his dad went to, well, we went into Five Below because I had to pick up some things for the beach. 
And so I'm shopping for just random shit because it's five below. And he leaves with his dad to go down to Best Buy. Mm-hmm. So they, I'm in there forever. So they come back and I'm checking out. So we all walk out together. I go around to the back, put the things in the back of the car, get in. We're driving down the road. There's something like fluttering I see on the front of my car. Like maybe I've hit a plastic bag. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh my God, I must have hit something. I need to pull over. And they're just giggling. And I'm like, what did you do? Oh. Max found some magnetic eyelashes <laughs> in Five Below <laughs> and had bought them and went and stuck them on my car. That's hilarious. While I was in the store. And his dad knew. Yeah. And oh thought it was, well, his dad had to pay for him. But thought yeah, it was hilarious. That's hilarious. Snuck around. That is funny. It was pretty funny. So one blew off on the interstate this morning. <laughs> so I'm, so cockeyed. Just like my lashes. Yes, exactly. I'm like, <laughs> same girl. So I have one set of fake eyelashes on my headlights and it looks quite funny. But Oh my gosh, that's pretty funny. He's a prankster. He is. That's funny. That's a good prank. That's a good prank. Yes, that is a good that's a good prank. Not like the one you talked about last week. No. Not a good prank. Not a good prank. But yeah, so I have one set of fake eyelashes on You're winking. I'm winking. Yes. <laughs> Did you guys shoot fireworks? We didn't shoot any, but we walked well, we drove to where we used to live, parked the car and walked down to the um Arkansas River oh, and fun. saw the downtown fireworks. It's the closest because we used to watch them on our balcony uh-huh. at, at the condo. Now we – it's the closest we've ever been to them before. Oh, cool. So it was really cool. We saw that they – so not the Broadway Bridge, but the bridge uh-huh. to the right of it. That's where they shoot them from. Oh, yeah. When we I lived, had no idea because I just saw it from afar. When we lived downtown, we would walk down mm-hmm. to the park and just like spread a blanket out. And yeah. That, it, I mean tons of families. Oh, we yeah. were basically right there mm-hmm. on the concrete thing above the park area. Oh, anyway, yeah. But yeah, they were really good. I was impressed by the finale this year. We, of course, everybody at the lake was shooting oh, off, and yeah. we bought some. And I'm I'm super confused as to why every man who's had a few drinks and every mm. child turns into a pyrotechnic uh. engineer on the Fourth of July. My kid shot off his very first um, Roman candles where he can hold them and shoot them off. I don't think I've ever done that. And he was trying to like, he would shoot it and then he'd put it under his arm and shoot it. Oh my gosh. And then he'd bend over and put it between his legs and shoot it. And I'm like, stop. You, you can't do tricks with fireworks. (laughs) And then it went out. And so then he like started to look into it and I'm screaming. I'm like, Oh my gosh. I'm the worst. I'm not the fun mom because the whole time they're shooting fireworks off, I'm screaming, get back, put that down, don't look in it, watch where you're standing, (sighs) don't walk around with that little punk in your mouth, like, (laughs) what are you doing? Like, what? get your shoes on, don't throw your sparkler sticks, you're going to step on it. Mm -hmm. I was the biggest fucking nag. They're probably like, no no more for the July. So with funny. Mom. I only cared about sparkler snakes, those colorful bombs and the yes. pop things you throw on oh, the ground. Oh, snappies. Oh, yeah, we we Or I'd like watching them. I didn't want to touch the firework. Uh-uh. I didn't do uh what's what are those things? Bottle rockets? Yes. Didn't get the point. Don't get the point of those you know, still. I didn't see any bottle rockets at the two firework stands I went to. Maybe I was just not looking hard enough. I also didn't see any of the really long sparklers. 
Maybe they just oh, sold out. Yeah, maybe. maybe. It's but funny because technically in downtown, fireworks are illegal. Oh, you hear them anyways, didn't well, you? Well, we were driving home. Just it took, what, seven minutes to get back mm-hmm. to our house? All these families outside with their fireworks yeah. under the bridge, just fam- like after the mm-hmm. show is over doing all their fireworks and stuff. They're like, we'll roll the dice with it. It's funny. I'm police. like, yeah, you would never know it's illegal in downtown. Oh, my gosh. It's, it gives me so much anxiety because my yeah. kid's a daredevil anyways. And not knowing enough about fireworks, mm-hmm. he has no respect for the fact that you will blow your face off. You cannot be... And his dad thinks it's funny or sure. thought it was funny one time mm-hmm. last night until they both saw my wrath to, I was bent over trying to light one of the snakes to mm-hmm. show Max, because I mean, he's seen them before, but you know, they forget they you know, so I'm like, I love a snake. I do too. I was like, here, watch. And as I'm doing that, he has, they have these little snappers that are like this long now. And when you throw it down. It sounds like a like a black cat, like a fire firecracker, wow. not like the little pop. Mm-hmm. And he threw it behind me, and it popped. I almost fell forward and skipped oh, my knees up. My I jumped up, You're and I, so I was so fucking mad because it scared me. <laughs> yeah. And but then I'm also thinking. You're teaching him bad habits. Yeah. You can't light fireworks and throw them at people. Mm -hmm. So then again, I'm an asshole, nag mom, and I'm like, I'm just going in the house. I don't even care about fireworks anymore. (laughs) They're pretty and all, but like last night, it was, I was hearing booms Mm -hmm. until like 3 a.m. Well, I'm like, how do you still have fireworks listen, left? And I'm not that person. You're I don't having care. a boy, so you just get yeah. ready. I mean, like, Boys I, are, mm-hmm. I don't get mad about that. I'm no. like, you, you do you outside. But I'm still thinking, like, how do you have that many that it's 3 a.m. and you still have fireworks left? Because they're not cheap. Like, yeah, for real. It's like, aren't they already gone already? No, I don't know. They're not. Mm, boy. Well, fun fact, Samuel owned and operated a fireworks stand in college. Really? <laughs> well, I don't know owned and operated. He, what's the word? Not rented the fireworks, but. He ran the thing. He ran a that's, stand. That's yeah, fun. For two summers. Two oh, summers. that's fun. He slept out. You had to sleep out there because they could get stolen in the middle of the night. People would come out there with flashlights. He and his brother took turns sleeping on a cot in the tent. Oh, my gosh. I helped him out and worked a little bit while he had to go to summer classes or uh-huh. or work or something uh-huh. like that, his other job. And, oh, my gosh. There's a picture. And one, one summer when he was doing it, he lost so much weight. Because sweating? Sweating and also just not eating enough food because he wasn't around. You food. know, he'd have to yeah. just go grab some. And there's one picture of him drinking out of a measuring cup. Because he, that's all he had to drink out of is. Oh my God. It's hilarious. Yeah. I don't know. Random. But yeah. Mm-mm. He's had all kinds of jobs. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Oh boy. Well, any shows? I'm out. But I saw today on Facebook, this popped up from was renewed for a third season officially. So there will, will for sure be another season of from. What about evil? No word on evil? I don't know. But I want From to come out soon because... Well, you'll be home for a long time, so... You're right. You're right. <laughs> oh, boy. What else? Anything? No. Nothing? Because of, I've had family and all the things, so I haven't watched anything. Well, um, I, I'm trying to think. I did watch something, but I'm going to talk about it on The, the oh, Wacky. okay. Where are we next week? 
California, California, I think. California, yes. And when do you want to do the Patreon? It's it's our uh, our theme is resort nightmares. Resort nightmares. Yes. And I found some campfire stories oh, to tell you also on the Patreon on the episode. Patreon. Oh, cool. We uh-huh. can. Record that in a couple weeks. Don't put me on the spot. (laughs) We will figure it out and we'll come out with something. And our camp shirts. Yeah, we're going to have camp shirts. We're going to nail that down like this week and get them ordered. Yes. So patrons, stay tuned. You'll get one. And then, well, the patrons that still need a shirt and then we'll have some for sale. Yeah. For funsies. But anyways, California next week. Bye. Bye.